Let's go to the book of Revelation. Can we do that, please? This month is a month of challenge, and I wanted to share a few thoughts from the book of Revelation, primarily in chapters 1 and 2 and 3. But um, I love the book of Revelation. I think probably there's a natural thing that probably satanically induced that makes people afraid of the book of the Revelation because we're nervous about it. And the Bible tells us how God laid out the book of the Revelation in its first chapter. Now, all Scripture is given inspiration of God, and all of it's profitable for God's people. It's given to us, number one, so we can know how to be saved. That from a, from a child you have known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. The second reason for the Bible is so that it can be profitable, so we can be successful. He said all Scripture is given inspiration of God and is profitable. You want to be profitable in your business, in your relationships, and uh, in your academics, I would encourage you to get into the Word of God. Apply its principles. It will bring profitability to you. The third reason for the Bible is that the man of God may be perfect. doesn't mean without sin, but obviously, you know, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. It will certainly keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Bible. However, perfect in the Bible means maturity, seasoning, that you'll handle things in a mature, Christ-like way. Many, many Churches, institutions, homes uh, are plagued by immature people who handle things like little children when they could handle things in spiritual maturity. And God gave us the Bible for salvation, for success, for seasoning or maturity. And then lastly, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You and I get into the Word of God and the Bible gets into us. We want to do something. We're stimulated to serve the Lord like our body is that we talked about tonight with Brother Gibson. There's something you want to do. You never want to get to the place where you're an armchair quarterback in the work of the Lord. Whenever you, you just look around and watch everybody else do something, everybody ought to do something. All of us, all the way. Doing something for the Lord Jesus Christ. In your senior years, you cannot do maybe with energy you, what you ought to do with some urgency. Um, what we can't do with energy, let's do with urgency. Let's think about how did God want me to finish my life? And sometimes we can do things with our checkbook when we're older that we couldn't do when we were in our 20s. We can do things more so for the cause of Christ in writing notes and ministering to younger people in a special way. Ask God for wisdom and every one of us, let's go out serving the Lord because that's what the Word of God is for. In the book of Revelation, of course, it's the last book of our Bible, um, in, in order and chronologically. A.D. 90, 95, probably closer to 95, John the Beloved. He was the youngest of, we feel, of all the disciples. He was um, a brother of James. His brother was, uh, was killed, one of the first apostles to go into eternity outside of Judas early. But Ju- James was the, looks like the leader of the church of Jerusalem, and he was captured by uh, Herod and killed, and then Herod went after Peter, and Peter got, got escaped from that. But they all the apostles began to travel other places. They went throughout the all world, and they were the sent ones that God had. Jesus had many disciples, 12 apostles, and James was the first. That was his older brother. But John was the last one, probably the only one that did not die as a martyr. He was boiled in oil and tortured and put on an exile in the island of Patmos to shut him up. 
I think he had started many churches or worked either directly or indirectly in the Asia Minor region, modern-day Turkey, and had worked or pastored the churches that are probably listed here, the 12 churches, Thyatira and Laodicea and Ephesus and Sardis and Smyrna and Pergamos and those churches there. He worked with them some way, and uh, while on the island of Patmos, the Lord gave him this revelation. It's a significant time. I think there are three sections of the book of the Revelation, the things that were, the things that are, and the things that will be. Look at chapter 1, if you would, please, of Revelation, if you would, in verse number 19. Read it out loud with me, would you please? Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things... So he says, I want you to write these things, and uh, the things that that uh, that um, thou hast seen, and that's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the things that are, I think that's a reference to those seven churches, and the things which shall be thereafter. Notice in verse number three of chapter one, would you? Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this particular prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. By the way, he said there's a blessing for those who read the book of the Revelation. I wonder if that's why many people are scared away from reading it. <laughs> I wonder if that's why Satan wants to think negatively about it. Now, most of the book of the Revelation is futuristic. It's things that will be hereafter. But I don't think chapter 1 is. Chapter 1 revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you'll find he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning of the end. The things which thou hast seen, and he's talking specifically in chapter 1 about the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the relationship with him. He is the one that we need to focus on. We don't want to be here at church night for me, and I don't want to be here for you. We ought to be here for him. We live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, looking, looking unto Jesus. He said, now consider Jesus. Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I am crucified with Christ. He said, when Christ, who's my life, shall appear. Boy, you and I have to have a revival of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him your focus and, and your love. Talk to him in prayer. Talk about him to other people. When you meet another Christian, don't ever be afraid to say, tell me what you feel about Jesus. <laughs> Give me something the Word of God shared with you. Uh, talk to people that you know about Christ. Then talk for him to people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 is a great chapter, and it revolves around the things John had seen in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, my hands have handled, I've seen my hands have handled of the word of life, which is Jesus Christ. And he says, now, once you write about the things which you've seen, I want you to write about the things that are. And I think that's chapters 2 and 3 in particular. And they are seven churches. And that's where we're going to spend our couple uh, Wednesday nights here in the, uh, in the month of Ju uh, July challenging us. I think some folks look at these uh, books, or these churches, and they talk about it chronologically, the church age and the different ages. And I wouldn't argue with that. A lot of smarter people than me believe that to be the main. Uh, it's a chronological. That means Ephesus is the first generation church, and then Smyrna, the second, uh, second stage, and then Pergamos, and Thyatira, and then Smyrna, and then Philadelphia, and then on into Laodicea. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, would, I would choose to think that these are types of churches that are here today. 
and, and it could be Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches like we have, Presbyterian churches. I think probably every church that's a true, that, that at least has some sort of true Christianity will fall in to these seven categories. You see the church at Ephesus, and basically these are things that are. I think they, these are things that are, that are happening, and I'm going to come back and talk about that, but you can see like the, the church at Ephesus. They, he commends them. He says, Jesus, he's the one who's walking among, and he's checking out uh, and evaluating his church, and every time he says, I know your works. I know where you are, and he does. And he says, when I look at the church at Ephesus, they're a loveless church. They're conservative, they're steady, they're right, they work hard, they have diligence, they believe right, they stood against wrong, but they have left their first love. There's just no love in the shine. And we talked about that a little bit a few weeks, a few months ago in a message I shared with you on the book, on the, on the church at Ephesus. The next church is the church of Smyrna. Now, the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia, the Lord Jesus does not give them a criticism. He gives them commendation, but no criticism. The other five churches, he gives them severe criticism. He said, okay, I got something against you. You did this, 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 that's fine, but you've got this problem and you need to get it fixed. The church at Smyrna, Smyrna he did not do that. The church at Pergamos, it was a loose church. And uh, it, it had let things go. And it had tolerated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The church, the next church there, it was a lawless church. They were even letting a lady uh, pastor the church and things of that nature. And we, how many have ever heard of a church where a lady is pastoring the church? Is that biblical or not? <laughs> it's not. He said, you've allowed, you've allowed a lady to take on leadership, and that's not what God wants for this church. And even talking about a Jezebel caused, not her, not actual Jezebel, but someone likened to that, that took it down the left, left-hand side of the road. Then the church of Sardis in chapter 3 and verse number 1 speaks about a church that had a name that it was alive, but it was really dead. It's like they had a sign, they had a, they had a pastor, they had a congregation, they had a program, and they looked like they were alive, but really they had no life there. But even in churches like that, and I think you could drive up and down our city and you could find churches like that where they've lost the truth. The, the, the truth is not there. And the Bible says the church should be the pillar and the ground of truth. You know, one of the ways you can keep the truth is by telling the truth. The way you learn a joke is to tell a joke. The way you learn the Bible is to preach or teach the Bible. It's one reason I wish every one of you would disciple someone in this next year. Find somebody you can sit with and disciple them. I, I believe they're the world's full of people that would love to have 45 minutes of your 168 hours of your week. But we don't have enough inertia, our passion, our vision to do it. We need to do that. Work with that and decide. That, and you know what will be the byproduct? You'll help that person and you'll help yourself. You'll grow. Whoever does the teaching, Dr. Vogel has taught this for years. Whoever does the teaching does the learning. And many of us, we stop learning because we stop getting it out. But the church of Sardis, they had a church that they had a, a name that they were alive, but they were dead. But even in those dead churches, and some of the churches in our community and around the world, you couldn't find the truth there with a flashlight. But even in those churches, he said, there is a small remnant of people sitting in Catholic churches and in Methodist churches. and They're truly believers. 
They're in there. He said, I want you to strengthen the things that remain. Get up there and do something. And, and God can even use that. Then I think the church of Philadelphia, a loyal church, not the largest church, but a church that was known for its love and its loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last church is the church of Laodicea. And it was a, it was a church that, um, that was lukewarm. It was not hot. It wasn't cold. And as he goes today, he's talking about the things that are. And then chapter 4, verse number 1, I believe that is the type of the rapture of the church. You know, when the Lord Jesus came the first time, we see that the Lord Jesus came to his own, but his own, his own received not. The first time he came, he came to his own, and his own received not, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become sons of God. Aren't you glad you're in that group? I'm glad that he, he, he let me get in. He grafted us in into that thing. Number two, though, the next time he will come, he came the first time to his own. The next time he's coming, he's coming for his own. He's coming to take those who uh, are alive and remain at his coming. And he's going to take them for his own. Those who are dead in Christ shall rise first. Then those of us who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture. And I think that takes place probably in chapter 4, verse number 1. Look at it real quickly. Maybe you can see it. And we're going to talk about a few things that ought to challenge our hearts today. In chapter 4, and verse number 1, and this is, uh, the scripture says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard were, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, and said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which thou must, which, which must be hereafter. And then, of course, verse number 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. Now, I will tell you this. I, I don't think everybody agrees with that. But I think right there, here's one thing you will find out. In chapter 4, verse number 2, until end of chapter 19, you will not find a mention of the church because the church is not there. But it's going to chronicle and tell us about the tribulation period. The seven years of tribulation that are going to be ushered in at the, after the rapture of the church. And there's all kinds of opinions about that and everybody has a mind opinion. I think the scripture, I find to be very clear if you study the book of 1 Thessalonians, you study the book of Revelation, you study the book of Daniel, you're going to find that Jesus comes the second time for his own, and that ushers in seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half years will be very kind of calm, and it's going to set up a kingdom for the Antichrist. And we are working into that generation. Jesus said, I think at the time of Jesus' coming was a terrible generation. And he said, oh, you generation of vipers. He said, this generation is terrible. And it had to be a bad generation to crucify such an innocent person like Jesus, don't you think? I think the only generation that's going to trump that is probably, and I say that loosely, trumps, forgive me about that, uh, is going to be the generation ushering in the Antichrist. And boy, I tell you what, as I look around in society, I think we're getting, getting very, very dark, very, very wicked. Nonetheless, He's going to have three and a half years where it's going to be smooth. He's going to broker a deal between the Arabs and the, and the Jewish people to build the, rebuild the temple. And then in the middle of that three and a half years, there's going to be abomination of desolation in which he's going to sacrifice unto himself. 
And, uh, but much of the story of what happens those seven years, if you're a child of God and you're raptured or you're dead in Christ and you've been raised to be with the Lord in the air, you're not going to be there when that happens. But I promise you the world's going to cry uncle after God gets done with them. He's going to bring them down through the vice grips of his judgment and going to begin to, to bring them to a place of submission. And then he will come for the third time. The first time, he's coming to his own. The second time, he's coming for his own. The third time, he's coming with his own. And that's when there's a thousand-year millennial reign, and God begins to tell us about that in the book of, of Revelation toward the end of the Scripture, the things that will be. And then it'll, of course, culminate with the great white throne judgment. We'll learn a little bit about that at youth conference, and I think Brother Eddie's going to speak a little bit on that topic, and I'm praying for him in regards to that. Well, let's just real quick, our time is just about up. I've given you some overview, but let's look real quickly at those churches. Chapter number two, would you turn there, please? Chapter number two, under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's Jesus. Here's what he says about this church of Ephesus. I know thy works, thy labor. I know how you work. I know your patience. You keep persevering through problems. I commend you for that. How thou canst not bear them which are evil. You are separated from evil. Thou hast tied them, tried them which say that they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. He said, you, are, you doctrinally discern truth from error. You stay doctrinally pure. Congratulations. Good job, Ephesus. Verse number three. Thou hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake, and hast labored and hast not fainted. He said, you guys have gone through difficult times for, for the name of Christ. You've labored and you haven't quit. Good job. Now, verse number, verse number four, tell me the first word you see. Nevertheless, having said that, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You haven't lost your love, but you've left it behind. Have you ever left something, you, you, then you had to go back and get it? <laughs> That's what he's going to tell them to do. And it's not, it's, it's not hard to leave something. The older you get, the more you get to do that. Just ask Brother Moffat. He knows all about that. And... Boy, you, you just, uh, you leave something, you're like, oh, that's, I, where did I leave that? Well, he said, you've left your first love. Look, if you would please, at the next one, would you please? Verse number five, remember, that's the first thing you do when you find yourself cooled off on your love for the Lord. I wonder what, you know, God really measures the temperature of our love. He looks at the thermometer of our obedience. If you love me, what will you do? You know, sometimes as we get on in the Christian life, we just stop obeying on the little things. We stop obeying the Lord. We just think we, we've come that far. We bought the T-shirt. We're good now. There's sometimes some of our sweet friends here have been saved for 30 years, and we've got some gray hair on the roof, and we now watch things we would have never watched many years ago. There are some folks, you, 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 you scroll through things on your social media, you know that your spirit is convicted by it, but you just keep doing it. You know how God knows we love him? He looks at the thermometer of our obedience. and says, I'll, I'll check the temperature of John's love by looking at the thermometer of his obedience. He said, remember from whence thou hast fallen. Remember where you were. Look, if you would please, at verse number five. Here's our challenge. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And the second R word, what is that? Repent. 
Boy, every one of us need to have times where we recognize and repent of known sin. When was the last time you went to God and said, God, my attitude about that person is not right, and it's sin, and it grieves you, it grieves me, and I, I want to ask you, I'm going to confess that's a sin. I listened to this. I looked at this. I did this. I had a bad spirit about that. Listen, friend, there's not a perfect one in here. And I think when we, when we sin, we ought to, if we mess up, we ought to fess up. And we, we don't have to go to a man to do that, to a priest. We get to go right to God for that. One of the reasons he tells us in the Lord's Prayer that he gives that model prayer. He said, he said you need to ask God to forgive you the way you forgive other peoples and forgive us our debts so we forgive also those who are indebted against us. That's why bitterness is very detrimental to a prayer life. When you're upset with someone so much that you can't forgive them, man, I'm telling you what, you talk about a waste of time. Prayer's hard enough without trying to to try to pray when you're bitter. When you've got an angst with somebody, don't want to do that. But boy, if we've got something wrong, he said, I want you, number one, remember where you left it, your love. Number two, repent. And then number three, return. Look, if you would please, the rest of verse five. And do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And for this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of Nicolaitan, which I hate. We'll talk about that another time. And then he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We find here, he says, I want you to, re- I want you to remember I want you to repent. I want you to return doing back to what you used to do. And I, I want to encourage you tonight. Listen, if you find yourself cold in your love for the Lord, I want you to say, Lord, I don't want to keep it that way. I want to be back the way it ought to be. I want to do what I do because I love you. And remember, if you find yourself a, a just kind of calloused, and that, that's not hard to be. We've kind of been there. We've been through enough sermons, enough invitations, enough responses, enough heartache, difficulty, upset things. I was thinking of someone not too long ago that just, just has found every reason in the world why they, they don't have to live for Christ. Boy, don't, don't spend your life wasting your life like that. Remember from where you came. Repent and return back to doing what God wants you to do. Let the love freshen up again inside of our hearts. Let's challenge our hearts to do that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you.